So let's read Ruth chapter 4 as this uh, little book comes to a climax. Verse 1. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsman, so there's that word kinsman, very important. Remember, we, we looked at it last Sunday morning. And if you just look at the last three letters in the word, man, man. Remember, the Lord Jesus is our kinsman because he became a man. Okay, so don't get, don't get confused by that word kinsman. Just think about the last three letters. And the Lord Jesus is our kinsman. He became man. He became one of us. He took a human body upon himself at Bethlehem. And he became our kinsman or uh, our redeemer. So verse 3, And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that is, come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is none to redeem it beside thee. And I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabites, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. So there's Ruth. She's the central character or one of the central characters in this book that uh, has her name upon it. Ruth the Moabites. Remember, we, we said a few weeks ago that that's the phrase that's constantly used in the book. Ruth doesn't just, doesn't just say Ruth, but time and time again, the Holy Spirit, he, he, he guides the hand of the writer to, to write down Ruth the Moabites. But when you come to Matthew, she's not Ruth the Moabites. She's just Ruth. In the genealogy of our Lord Jesus, it's just Ruth because she was redeemed. Redeemed. And uh, many of you tonight are redeemed by the blood of Christ. But if there's anybody here tonight who's not redeemed, you can be tonight. Uh, why don't you come to the Savior tonight? Just put your faith in him and experience his redemption. And it doesn't matter what, what your past has been. It doesn't matter how foul or filthy your past has been. The Lord Jesus can make you whiter than the snow. And I know that we're glad to see the snow away for it was, wasn't too easy getting about this past week. Nice to look out at the snow and the wintry landscape and countryside, but it's not so easy when you want to go anywhere. But um, the Lord Jesus, by his blood, can make us whiter than the snow. He can make you whiter than the snow. Tonight, 
Now let's read on. Verse 6. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing for to confirm all things. A man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kylion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Phares, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And she shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom, and became nurse unto it. And the women her neighbors gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Phares. Phares begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. There's a little phrase in verse 17 of Ruth chapter 4, and here it is. They called his name Obed. They called his name Obed. At Christmas time, we think of the birth of a special child. But in the book of Ruth, we also have the birth of a special child. And I want us to think about this special child and what we can learn from him and how this final chapter, the fourth chapter of Ruth, points us to the Saviour. Because, folks, there's no point tonight coming together just to study the book of Ruth if we don't get to Christ. And that's where we want to get to tonight, as Mr. Spurgeon said on one occasion, every time he preaches, he makes a beeline for Christ.
And that's what we want to do tonight. So will you bow, please, for a very brief word of prayer before we study God's word tonight. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for everything that has taken place already in this service. We thank you for the joy and the pleasure of singing these beautiful Christmas hymns together. Uh, Some of them traditional, some of them more modern. But we thank you for the wonderful words contained therein. But Lord, we know that it's to the word of God, to your inspired scriptures that we really need to turn Because your word is truth. And the entrance of thy words giveth light. And your word is what scatters the darkness in our souls and leads us to the cradle and then to the cross and then to the empty tomb. So we're praying tonight, Lord, in these closing moments of the service, that you will come very near and that you will bless us richly. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first scene that we find in Ruth chapter 4 is a courtroom. We are taken to a courtroom. And then after that we are taken to a maternity ward. And finally we're taken to a palace. So let's think first of all about the scene that that we meet first in Ruth chapter 4, the courtroom scene. Because we have Boaz here and he's meeting at at the gate of the city of Bethlehem with the nearer kinsman. With the man who has the first opportunity to redeem Ruth and Naomi. But then when you read verse 6 of Ruth chapter 4, you discover that this individual can't redeem these ladies. Look at verse 6 in your Bible. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Do you know this man who is powerless to redeem Ruth and Naomi is a picture of the law of God. The law is powerless to redeem any lost soul. The law of God cannot redeem anyone here tonight or anyone in the community in new buildings tonight. The Ten Commandments are powerless to save anyone. It's amazing, you know, when you think about the Christmas story, the references to the law. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and we'll read about the law in this portion that describes the nativity. And uh, we love the the Christmas passages from Luke. And in Luke chapter 2 and verse 21... We read these words. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law. So you've got the law and it's the law of Moses. 
So when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to, sac- and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So you have a number of references there to the law. And you see, folks, the Lord Jesus has come into the world to fulfill the law. The law that cannot redeem you and me. Jesus comes as a little babe in Bethlehem, as a little babe to the manger, to redeem us. You see, he kept the law perfectly. And that's all that matters. Those of us who are saved tonight, we are not under the law. Please remember that. Please understand that. Because unless you understand it, you will get into all kinds of bondage. And I've been there, I can tell you, and I've got the t-shirt to prove it. I've been to the place where I, yes, I, I was trusting in Christ but, but I knew I wasn't perfect and, and I used to think, well, there's something up here, there's something wrong. Maybe I'm not even saved because I, I, I've let the Lord down that way or I let him down this way. I did what I shouldn't have done or I didn't do what I should have done. And it was nothing but pure bondage. But I'm glad for the day that the Holy Spirit showed me, Jonathan, you're not under the law any longer. Because Christ has magnified the law for you. He has done it all. Uh, And that nearer kinsman that could do nothing for you. Jesus has done it all. He has taken care of it. Aye, the law. You see, we're told in Galatians 2.16, A man is not justified by the works of the law. And just for good measure, in the same verse, Paul repeats himself. He says, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But you see, that's where Christ comes in. That's where the Christmas story comes in. Because in the same little book of Galatians, we find in chapter 4, verse 4, But when the fullness of the time was come... God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. Don't you just love the buts of the Bible? But when the fullness of the time was come, my, what a wonderful but that is. If it wasn't for that but, there'd be no hope for us tonight. And so the Lord Jesus has come to redeem them that are under the law. And if you're redeemed tonight, you're not under the law. The day or the night that the Lord saved you, he took you out from under the law and he put you under grace. And you'll always be under grace. So let's remember here, as we think about Boaz and the This anonymous individual who says, listen, Boaz, I I can't do this. I can't redeem Ruth and Naomi. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to pass the buck to you. Let's remember that the law 
cannot redeem us. And no matter how hard we try, we'll never be redeemed if we depend on the works of the law. It's interesting here that when when the man says to Boaz, now it's over to you, you need to redeem these ladies here, he takes off his shoe and he gives it to Boaz. It was like a tradition, a custom back in those days. So Boaz now has the shoe of the other man. That shoe is the evidence that Ruth and Naomi are redeemed. I want to tell you good folks that we tonight in this service who are redeemed, we have evidence that we are redeemed and it's the marks on the body of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. That's the evidence in the heavenly courtroom. The marks of his passion. Aye, the evidence is there. So the devil, the accuser of the brethren, he can accuse us all he likes. But it makes no difference because in the courtroom of heaven, God the Father sees the evidence. He he sees the wounds upon the body, the glorified body of his lovely Son. And the evidence of redemption is there for the devil and for a wandering universe to behold and for you to behold. So when the doubts come and the devil tells you, as he told Martin Luther all those years ago, you couldn't be saved, Luther. Sure, look at you. And Luther, he, Luther knew fine well and often felt that he couldn't be saved. But he said, when I look at myself, I don't know how I could be saved. But when I look at Christ, I don't know how I could be lost. Hallelujah. Aye, it's all in Christ because he has fulfilled the law. So there's the courtroom in Ruth chapter 4. Let's move on. To the maternity ward. It's always a joyful experience for a a couple to be in the maternity ward and for, for, for a couple to have that little bundle of joy in their arms. And here we find that, as it were... Ruth and Boaz, they're in the maternity ward now because they have been married. A wedding has taken place. And now it says in verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And then in verse 17, you remember the little phrase we read earlier, They called his name Obed. That's the name of the little child that was born to Boaz and Ruth. It was Obed. Do you know what his name means? Worshipper. One who worships. I tell you, that brings us to... The Christmas story right away, doesn't it? That brings us to Bethlehem, to the manger, to the cradle, to the crib. You see, what do we find in Matthew chapter 2? Lo and behold, the wise men. Verse 2 of Matthew chapter 2. We have seen his star in the east 
and are come to worship him. We are come to obey him. Matthew 2 verse 11. Whenever the wise men finally make it to the house where the little Christ child is. What do we read? And when they were come into the house. They saw the young child with Mary's mother. And fell down and worshipped him. Doesn't say, it doesn't say they fell down and worshipped her. It's not Mary that receives the worship. It's Christ. They fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and obeyed him. Worship. I trust that this month of December, as we have made our way through the little book of Ruth, I trust that we have truly worshipped the one who was born in the manger. I trust that as we go through the week ahead, as we come to Christmas Day, as we enjoy time with family and friends, I trust that in it all, we will worship him. Unfortunately, most people out there don't worship him. You see, people today worship their phone. Boy, the phone, that's the new drug, isn't it? And the screen time on the smartphones is through the roof. Do you know the average screen time on a phone today in the United, King, in the, in the United Kingdom? Wait for it, five hours a day. The average amount of time spent on a mobile phone in the United Kingdom today, every day, five hours. I'd say that's a bit of an idol. When you compare the screen time to the amount of time uh, spent in Bible reading or in prayer. The phone... Is worship today? Oh, oh, most people wouldn't admit it, and they'd get very cross if you said they were uh, the, the phone was an idol. But it is, and that's not to mention all the sleep problems associated with it. It's it's a proven scientific fact that there's a whole lot of young people out there, especially who are spending hours every day on their phones, and it's causing them sleep problems. So you just need to be very careful. Football's what people worship today, isn't it? Boy, there's football footballers and football teams. I've nothing against football. I like it myself. I used to play a wee bit. I know you find that hard to believe, but I enjoyed it. And uh, if I'm asked to have a wee kick around, I don't mind it at all. I find it quite enjoyable and good exercise and it clears the head. But football and sport in general can become an idol and a god that people worship. The World Cup final took place today. 1.5 billion people watched it. That's a lot of people in the world's population.
case you think I'm giving the men a rub tonight, ladies, I wonder would shopping be your idol? Nothing wrong with shopping. But is it your idol? It's the idol of a lot of people out there. It'll be the idol. It'll be what they worship this incoming week. Shopping is available now, of course, seven days a week. Six days isn't enough. And guess which day is the busiest shopping day? Yeah, you've guessed it. Today, Sunday, the Lord's Day. I mean, you just have to drive past the car parks at the retail, the retail outlets and the shopping centres, and boy, they're jam-packed full. And of course, you'll get uh, cheaper parking on a Sunday. Another one of our modern-day idols. But then ultimately, you know, folks, what our, our, our biggest idol is today, and it's always been the case, is ourselves. Because fallen man worships himself. Don't know whether you've ever heard the story from Greek mythology of a man called Narcissus. It's where we get the term somebody who's narcissistic, someone who is fixated with themselves. They, they, they want attention. They want to be in the limelight, a narcissist. They don't worship the Christ of God who came to Bethlehem. No, they worship themselves. And of course, in Greek mythology, Narcissus was endowed with great beauty. But one day he went to a pool of water and he saw his reflection in the water. And he stared at his reflection for the rest of his life. A whole lot of people like that today. And there's narcissism in the heart of fallen man. But you know the wise men were different. For they fell down and worshipped him. It's good to worship him. The courtroom. The maternity ward. And we'll finish tonight with the palace. Look at the last word in Ruth chapter 4. The very last word now. David, the king, the most famous king of Israel, King David. We're at the palace now. See, it says in verse 22, And Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. Now, who do you think of when you think of David? I'll, I'll hedge a guess that the first two names are definitely the first name that comes into your head is Goliath. For everybody thinks about David, and when they hear the name David mentioned, they think of the giant slayer. David, the little lad who killed the giant. 
But did you know that David was also slain by a giant? He not only was a giant slayer, but he was slain by a giant because the other name that we think of when we think of David is Bathsheba. And the giant of lust slew David. You see, the best of men are men at best. And they need the grace of God. And we're all on a level playing field tonight, folks. Every last one of us need the grace of God. David needed the grace of God to lift him out of the mire that he was in. And we need the grace of God to lift us out of the mire that we're in. Everybody's the same. But you know the wonderful thing about the Christmas story is that David is mentioned in the genealogy of our Lord. Not only here in Ruth chapter 4 in this little genealogy, but then when you come to Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3, lo and behold, you find David mentioned in both those chapters. And you can write over those chapters, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. David, the last word in the book of Ruth. We're at the palace. It's interesting how many times David is mentioned in the Christmas story. The name David. Matthew 1 verse 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Verse 6, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. Verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. Verse 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thy son of David. Luke 1, 27. To a virgin, a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Verse 32. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. Luke 2 and 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. Luke 2.11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Time and time again. We're taken to the palace, not only in the little book of Ruth, but in the Christmas story. And don't you just love that last verse that I read? Luke 2, verse 11. Let me read it again as we finish. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Savior. Let me leave that word with you as we finish. Jesus Christ came to Bethlehem to be your Savior. Is he your Savior? There's uncertainty around the 600 pounds that we've been promised 
from the uh, UK government. But I tell you tonight, there's something that there's no uncertainty around. And that's if you will take Jesus tonight, he will become your saviour this very night. That one thing is certain. And I tell you, the saviour is worth infinitely more than 600 pounds. And he offers himself to you tonight. A free gift. But will you take him? Will you receive him? Will you make room for the Saviour this Christmas? Prophets foretold him. Infant of wonder. Angels behold him on his throne. Worthy our Saviour of all their praises. Happy forever are his own. Let's finish with that hymn tonight. 139, please. 139. Child in the manger, infant of Mary, outcast and stranger, Lord of all. And after we sing this hymn... Then you can go for your cup of tea and thanks to the ladies who have brought some Christmas treats for us to enjoy tonight. So we'll enjoy them afterward and we're looking to the Lord for a good time of fellowship. So let's have 139 and we'll sing it through standing to sing. Let's stand. 